Katie, you can have a fun day off tomorrow. Yeah, I think I'm going to bake these chocolate peanut butter bars. Woo! I am also cookie baking. <gasps> what kind of cookies? I was thinking about doing magic cookie bars. They're like coconut, chocolate, all that good stuff. Ooh. But I normally bring all my holiday cookies into the office and make little, like, boxes for everybody. That's the problem. There's, like, no one to share them with, so then you have to eat them all. It's kind of sad. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Water and Waste Digest. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Lauren Delcello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. And in this episode of Talking Underwater, we are marking our second annual State of the Industry episode. We will be featuring several snippets from conversations that we've had with multiple industry leaders, reflecting on the state of the industry from their segments of the water industry. We have clips from the wastewater sector, residential and commercial drinking water treatment, stormwater, erosion control, and drinking water, as well as some regulatory uh quotes and whatnot. So this is going to give you a broad view of the industry in 2020 and where it could be going for 2021. So the interviews will, will also be followed by us kind of talking a little bit more about what we've learned in those conversations, because this is just a small amount of all the conversations that I'm sure that we've all had uh, as we did our State of the Industry reports this year. But I'll kick it over to Katie. She's going to start with the first clip from Derek Berg. Yeah, so the first person I spoke with was Derek Berg, the president of the Stormwater Equipment Manufacturers Association, who said that from a manufacturing standpoint, 2020 was decent as most projects that were in motion stayed in motion. Um, he did touch on how stormwater is a bit strained for resources and said going forward into 2021, he thinks that funding will be front and center. So here's just a little snippet of our conversation. Well, I think funding is front and center, um, you know, especially when you start talking about state and municipal budgets being, you know, really strained and, you know, the news today about, uh, you know, stalling out the stimulus potential, you know, stimulus money for um, local governments. Uh, I know that's going to be a major concern. Agencies are already doing kind of rolling furloughs and things of that nature. So uh, programs that have limited staff and resources are already um, you know, are going to be strained further if things remain, you know, status quo, if you will, heading into 2020. Um, you know, maintenance of BMPs is certainly getting a growing a number, a growing amount of attention. That's not necessarily a new topic, but I think it remains front and center. And then, you know, from a research perspective, we're starting to see, you know, chatter about emerging pollutants, uh, chlorides being one that that's front and center in my mind, living in a cold weather state and, I know other states have, have raised that alarm and you know, nutrient leaching is starting to get some attention. So that's kind of a broad swath of things, but um, you know, it's a handful of things that, that come to mind off the top of my head. So yeah, thanks Derek for having that conversation with me. Um, I agree that I think that, you know, budgets and funding will be pretty important going into 2021. Derek also mentioned that, you know, though projects that were in motion stayed in motion, he has a hard time imagining that we don't see some sort of slowdown in 2021 unless there is a major change with COVID and funding. Um, and from from what I've gathered, and of course, it's just a snippet, 
because some projects in 2020 might have to be carried over to 2021, that might cause a little bit of a slowdown for new projects starting up. So I believe that's where that's coming from. Um, and, and he continued to say that there is a lot of project activity right now, but I think investment in new projects will likely start to slow down under the current circumstances. Yeah, and I'll note too, I kind of got a similar a similar sentiment from the people that I interviewed. And one of the things I noted from those two is that a lot of them expected, like you said, the 2020 stuff that got delayed or whatever is going to move into 2021. So it just kind of kicks the ball down down the court. So it's not that there's going to be a huge gap at some point in 2021 of no projects to do so much so much as it is that gap already occurred and we're just filling in uh, later down the line. So uh, it there is a lot of optimism as well in the sense that like those projects are still going to get done. So. And I'll just touch briefly on my perspective, too, from the residential commercial drinking water uh, treatment industry in that I've certainly seen that a lot of industry folks feel that this is a little bit of a wait and see period, a little bit of a pause period. And then as we get into 2021, um, away from 2020 and hopefully closer to a vaccine, uh, more projects and more new business are, are likely to occur and cause a little bit of a boom, we hope. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then the second person I talked to about kind of the state of the industry was Adam Dibble, the president of the International Erosion, Erosion Control Association. And he said that, you know, 2020 was average, um, which is what, you know, the majority of the stormwater solutions survey respondents said rated 2020 in our annual survey. Um, but Adam talked to the point that he has seen an increased use of technology that has caused a bit more innovation in the water sector, probably faster than we would have seen if not for COVID-19. Um, and later in our interview, he also said he does think we will see some growth come out of 2020 that we do carry in 2021. So here is our a little bit of our, my conversation with Adam. Well, that's a, that's a good question because I think you really got to be introspective a bit. You know, I probably would default to, to be that guy, probably average. Mm -hmm. My justification would be that I think, you know, there's certainly been losses in families and, and friends' lives that have been challenging and, and trying times for us as a culture, as a civilization, you know, being, you know, North American, you know, even travel restrictions and stuff. But right. I also think it spurred some innovation. And, you know, I think there are some key takeaways that, you know, maybe travel can be more efficient for, you know, those that work remotely. And, you know, I think I've seen my colleagues more this year than I ever have, even though I haven't traveled as much as I ever have, right? So just mm -hmm. being able to do these Zoom meetings and just kind of the way that we go to business, it's forced a lot of us to be more electronic, I think, not yeah. just manufacturers, but you know, I'm seeing anything, you know, I'm seeing, you know, um, installers getting digital where they're taking photos and using that for quoting and stuff instead of having to go on site. And, you know, I had an, just, you know, kind of a, a, a funny story, you know, recently moved. And so I had an a entire, um, you know, cable, internet, security system set up remotely all by myself, like through, you know, some yeah. video contacts and stuff like that. Didn't actually have a single person come to my house and do do any work. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, innovation is, you know, basic out of necessity. Innovation has really been driven. Um, you know, I've read some things that I think, you know, they said something like, you know, digital age is, you know, we've grown five years in six months. So, you know, one of like the 
Forbes, you know, list said something in that nature that, you know, the, the pace of innovation is accelerated, you know, mm-hmm. like five times what it normally has. So, again, I, I it's kind of hard. You know, I definitely don't want to be like, oh, man, things are great because I think, you know, there's just been <laughs> catastrophic loss and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I also don't think it's so terrible that, you know, I was like, oh, it's a bad year. I, I just think it's kind of for different reasons. It's kind of probably netted out somewhere in the average. So again, thank you, Adam, for talking uh, to me about state of the industry. And like Derek, Adam also touched on the importance of regulations and infrastructure spending going forward. So again, that's something I think we're all going to be paying really close attention to in 2021, especially with the change in administration. Um, But kind of touching back on Adam, um, the quote from Adam, he also added that, you know, you might see some companies scale back on travel just because now we know that it, it is possible to have some communication via Zoom and whatnot. And he said that maybe we'll see a little bit more conferences going digital even after it's okay to do large gatherings. Maybe he said maybe one year it's in person and one year it's virtual. So I think that was a really interesting point. And I am interested to see what happens going forward with networking and shows like that. And um, also innovation with technology. I think he's right that we there was just such an increase in the use of it this year, too. I'm seeing a couple really interesting points from this. First of all, 2020 was average. Uh, Bob, love to hear from your perspective too, what your audience was saying, but I've definitely been hearing 2020 has been ending with a bang and a good one, and that we've got some good momentum going into 2021. So maybe I'm just talking to some more optimistic folks, but that was curious. Um, And then also on the facet of increased use of technology, we're all seeing that across the board right now, right? And it's because we don't have a choice. It's, It's the direction that we have to move. So very curious to see how these trends of virtual events are going to pan out throughout 2021. Um, Once hopefully we get a vaccine, what that's going to look like. Um, Are things that we've been doing this year here to stay? Do we have a hybrid? A lot of questions around that from across the sector. But Bob, I asked a question of you of what your audience is seeing in terms of an average year, if you want to field that. Yeah, so according to our State of the Industry survey, about two-thirds this year said, said that 2020 was good or very good, which is much better than I was anticipating it would be. And they're also expecting 2021 to be even better with almost two thirds saying it's going to be good or very good in 2021. Mm -hmm. So just like you, I think that there is a sense of optimism that now that an election is behind us, we can actually get back to the work we do. And I think especially for the municipal side of water and wastewater, it's because it's government, it's so governed by the grander things happening at a national and federal level when it comes to elections. Even state elections can make a huge difference in how uh, things are carried out at a local level, too. Uh, But touching again back on the digital technologies, we've discussed this several times, I think, this year about this huge adoption and advancement of digital technologies just out of necessity and whatnot. And I talked to Colin Sable. He's Senior Vice President and President of Xylem's Measurement and Control Solutions. Uh, oftentimes, this is related to their census brand. And we talked about that acceleration of smart systems throughout the year and what that means. And something that Colin had to say was very interesting to me. And so I'll let him speak for himself now. Yeah, so I think um, what we're finding is that customers that bought smart technology, 
a uh, an automatic meter reading system. They bought it for a certain business case. And so they read meters, generate bills, et cetera, with that system. But when the coronavirus hit and social distancing became a need, they all of a sudden started to use that system for other purposes. They extended the business case. And so they were able to do things like detect leaks and uh, engage with consumers directly through uh, those systems in a manner different from what they were planning to before. And we've seen that the marketplace is recognizing that these kinds of investments now have a broader business case available to them. And so we think that the shift from manual read and walk-by, drive-by kinds of systems to a fully automated system is, is going to accelerate. Yeah, so Colin, thanks again for talking to me. And we had a really cool conversation about a lot of other things too. He went on to explain that many of the users of those AMI systems, automated meter, automated metering infrastructure systems, are generally purchased for the drinking water side. But he said that they've found other uses for that technology, especially like their clients have found other uses for that technology, oftentimes with like wastewater networks and sometimes even with stormwater networks. So I don't know, Katie, if you've heard more about that digital side of kind of the connecting the dots between those two verticals within a municipality, for example. Yeah. So from what I've heard is more a little bit on the manufacturing side, which obviously trickles to municipalities is a lot of manufacturers because they can't necessarily do on-site tours are doing a lot with photos and video in the zoom to get kind of projects going and to keep that in motion. Um, and even on the residential side, I've heard a lot um, that, you know, rain, gardens are more people are home now they're looking in their backyards and seeing where they can put rain gardens and rainwater harvesting and all of that so i think this increased technology and adam touched on it too in the previous quote that you know we're seeing an increase in technology quicker than i think we probably anticipated we would in 2020 which i'm just so interested to see how it's going to continue to increase even more too this is really cool to see how innovative people are able to be this year with thinking outside the box, rethinking how we use our technology. I mean, I've certainly seen it with water disinfection companies pivoting to make PPE disinfection and um, things like that. So I love to see these verticals align in that way. And I just want to end on this one point in that um, it's a good year to be in water. You know, he was talking about increased investment. Things are things are looking up. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Now, pivoting a little bit, more to that regulatory side. I did also speak to Christina Surface. She is the Managing Director of Government Affairs for NACWA, the National Association of Clean Water Agencies. We talked about policy and regulations and we covered a ton in this interview, but I wanted to pinpoint in on something that we have talked about a lot on this podcast, which are water access, water affordability, and water equity. We did a lot with this in October. If you didn't get to check all those out, definitely go back and listen to them. So these are key terms that we, we hope that are the listeners to this podcast are familiar with, but I brought them to her to hear how those terms have come to the forefront in 2020, why that is, and how that could inform things moving into 2020 and beyond. I'll apologize in advance a little bit here, too, for some of the audio qualities because of how this was recorded, but she's still very easy to hear. It's just there's a little bit of background noise. But here's uh, Christina Serpent. we're going to 
to see more on all of them um, this coming year. Um, on in terms of access, obviously that has gained new attention in the context of coronavirus and mm -hmm. the importance of hygiene and sanitation um, and access to that when more people are at home. Um, and so obviously the pandemic is continuing to go on, the financial impacts of that on households are continuing. And so we expect that that is gonna remain an important part of the conversation over this next year. Um, and then hand in hand with access is affordability. Um, that, and that at the end of the day, you know, it's a money issue. And if we want NACWA buoys firmly, I mean, if we want to advance the goal of access to water for all, it comes down to providing funding. And there've been a lot of calls this year, obviously um, on water shutoffs, local communities, local utilities have done it. The majority of local utilities have put in place temporary moratoriums on shutoffs. Uh, a number of states, of course, have done it. There's been the federal push for it. Yeah, thanks, Christina. We didn't get all the way through to the equity element of this conversation, um, but she did go on to explain a little bit more about that and the challenges that this places on state legislators and federal legislators in providing relief, especially for those moratoriums on water shutoffs and how those bills tend to fall on someone who often just could be just be without a job for nine months and whatnot. So how can you get that ratepayer to pay when they don't really have the income to allow for it? Um, additional parts of this clip also included the financial capabilities assessment, which we have talked about before on the podcast, which is some documentation from the US EPA to create a framework to bring equity issues to the forefront and provide guidance and guidelines on how to fund those initiatives and whatnot. And she said that that'll be really, really crucial going into 2021, and that all three of these terms, this water access, water affordability, and water equity, these are gonna be guiding principles for a lot of regulatory frameworks moving into 2021 and beyond, especially with this change administration that we're expecting to see some change in that regard too, so. Yeah, and I think that this was such a great quote, and it sounds like it was a great conversation overall, and it's increasingly an important conversation to have. I um, didn't specifically talk about this with Derek and Adam, but you know, Derek did talk, did touch on the financial shortcomings that the industry faces, and he brought up a good point. He was like, you know, these aren't these financial shortcomings aren't unique to COVID-19, like they weren't necessarily caused by COVID-19, but they're certainly not being helped by what's going on this year with COVID-19. So I think that the water equity and water access and water affordability have just been compounded by that, and I think they've been brought more to light this year than they ever have before which I think could be very beneficial going forward to make sure that they maintain at the forefront of people's minds as we go into a new year. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, again, that was, sounds like it was a great conversation. Yeah, and I'll, I wanted to bring up too that Christina did mention a lot in other aspects of that interview. Like I said, it was a, a much longer interview than this small clip that we shared about like, she really stressed the importance of working with the working federally to find funding resources and how that can help out our our industry, especially since in 2020, despite the stimulus bills and whatnot, none of that stuff came to the water industry. So there is a need there and hopefully in 2021, we can see that need fulfilled. Yeah, well, uh, as we move into the, the new administration in the new year as well, I know that um, President-elect Joe Biden has made a part of his platform uh, water equity. 
He said on his website, JoeBiden.com, that he will help protect rural communities from water and air pollution and make water bills affordable for low-income communities, rural Americans, and tribes through targeted state revolving funds and rural utility service funding for disadvantaged communities. We'll see how that pans out. Hard to predict the future, but um, Christina's insights were certainly interesting and highlight uh, the increased focus on water access affordability and equity this year and how we can hope to see that pan out from a regulatory sense as well. So I spoke with Sam Cargi, who's president for North America Water Treatment for A.O. Smith, and we did talk about some regulatory and legislative issues coming down the pipeline, as well as trends and increased focus on water quality uh, under the coronavirus pandemic this past year. So this is a great segue into this first clip where we discussed uh, regulatory awareness regarding emerging contaminants. You know, when you think about these levels and stuff like that, I'm just afraid that we are creating a $1,000 solution to a $10 problem. You know what I mean? Uh, by, by regu the regulators are creating a, a $1,000 solution to a $10 problem. I think that we've got great technology to address things like PFAS and some of these emerging contaminants, but I'm afraid that regulatory is moving faster than really us and our sister industry, you know, groundwater, uh, municipal, and I'm just afraid that all of a sudden these re this regulation is just going to be impossible to maintain, and effectively by making it too difficult to manage, it never gets managed at, at all and we haven't actually made anything better in the whole process. So just ahead of this clip, I asked Cargi what he sees as some cons of the coronavirus, and he did point to uh, increased consumer and regulatory awareness of water quality issues because he's concerned that PFAS and other emerging contaminant regulations may come down the pipeline too fast and too stringent, getting ahead of available technologies. He used a really striking quote that regulators may be creating a $1,000 solution to a $10 problem. Um, so I'm very interested to hear the other editor's perspective as well, because he did bring in the municipal sector and the groundwater side on the difficulties of meeting those. Yeah, for sure. On the, I think I've brought this up before on the podcast of the more that there are regulations at the top, the more I hear about it from the operators and engineers at a table at a conference. Obviously, you haven't had those kinds of conversations as much this year, but <laughs> I, I, I've heard them so many times about this, this one regulatory thing is placing so much burden on something that could have been solved by doing this small detail instead. And so that's all the more important for our industry leaders to get into the minds and conversations of people in Washington to really inform them on, hey, this problem can be solved way easier by doing this thing instead. Um, but touching also on the regulatory things for next year to look out for is the lead and copper rule as well and kind of the revisions there. I know that's going to be a huge deal for municipalities and due to the, the guidelines and whatnot on inventory of pipe, of lead pipe, how the, what the plan for replacement is, all that kind of stuff from a utility perspective. And I'm sure that there's a lot on the point of use, point of entry side too, to, to talk about too. So 
Yeah, the lead and copper rule is definitely going to be an interesting topic in the new year because the Trump administration has made progress on revisions, but it has not been approved. So there's certainly questions. Um, are the revisions going to be scrapped? Are they going to be redone under the new administration? It's hard to know and carry that momentum. So be interesting to track. Katie, did you have uh, any follow-up you wanted to bring on regulations? Yeah, well, I was going to say something similar to what you said, Lauren, but I also was going to bring up, of course, I'm sure many of our listeners know, but 2021 is the first year stormwater will be on the ASCE infrastructure report card. And I think that including that will be very telling on maybe where funding is needed for stormwater projects, which of course impacts other sectors of the water industry. So I think that um, I'm excited for the, the report card to come out so we can kind of see, you know, where where's the necessity you know what is necessary for stormwater to move forward and projects to keep going i also talked to sam cargi a little bit more about overarching trends in health and wellness and how this has impacted the water industry and what we can kind of look for in 2021 and beyond um so here's that clip clip with him briefly The question that is on the tip of everybody's lips that I've talked to within our industry over the last couple of months is we've all seen a nice COVID tailwind here in 2020, where the health awareness of the consumer, along with the fact that I understand there's a large number of unemployed people, but those people who are still employed, they suddenly are finding themselves, I don't want to say cash rich, but they have they have expendable cash available. They're not going on vacation to Disney World this year. They're not going out to dinner. They're not going to baseball games in the state fair. And they're putting money into their home and into their health, if you take a look at that. And you've seen a boom in, in, uh, in, in all of the uh, DIY industry has seen a boom. Our industry has felt a nice tailwind as people are saying, hey, I'm going to put an investment in my home and in, in healthy water and in, in health for my family. It's been really nice for the industry as a whole, and I think most of our industry has felt a nice tailwind because of that. The question to answer your question, or the, the question I have to answer your question, is once the market starts to open up again, once a vaccine and people start to return to whatever the new normal is, is does that healthy living and uh, invest in your home trend continue, or do people go back to spending money on um, – on vacations, dinners, and all that type of stuff. And that that's the question I have, and that's the one that I think that everybody's going to be watching, and I'm going to be watching close. Okay, thank you so much. So Sam really talked a lot about how an increase in healthy living trends and stay-at-home orders, you know, folks staying at home and focusing on their water quality and, and seeing projects to enhance has really had kind of a nice tailwind for the industry. And I know Katie actually touched on it a little bit earlier, too, when she was talking about folks staying at home and making their own storm gardens and looking for ways to um, improve their home wellness and how water can play a role in that. So very interested to see if this continues into 2021, if stay-at-home orders do begin to get lifted more, when a vaccine comes out, and how that long-term impact will be. Will water still be top of mind and a top conversation? It's an important question and one I think we're all wondering. Yeah, and I know I mentioned the rain gardens earlier, and also I think that I've talked to a lot of professionals who've said that the stay-at-home orders in this pandemic have 
kind of shown the importance of having healthy green spaces. So that makes me think of green infrastructure right away, like having these outdoor spaces for people to go get fresh air, to get exercise are increasingly important. And so I think that that's going to hopefully bring up an increase of low impact development and green infrastructure projects in the stormwater sector, um, just so people have a place to get outside and get some fresh air. Yeah, very true. And that brings it back to Christina's clip too, about how water access or water access affordability and equity are still going to be top of mind in the new year. Yeah, and that extends not just to the drinking water side of things too. That's also sanitation when we're talking about that too, right? So sure. it's it's a it's a really holistic look at things and um yeah, there's the they'll be so important looking into twenty twenty one and making sure that everyone is safe and sound. So with that, we're about ready to wrap up our second annual State of the Industry episode. Woo. Woo. <laughs> So thank you to all the industry leaders who collaborated with us this month to share their thoughts on the state of the industry and expectations for the new year. We really do appreciate your time and the opportunity to share your valuable insight with our listeners. And the listeners, we hope that you found it just as valuable as we did. So first, just a little bit of quick housekeeping um, for WQP. want to let readers know that our annual state of the industry report is now live and available you can find that at bit.ly slash wqp sodi 2020 i found this report very insightful and different from past years so i do hope you check it out and send us some feedback if you have any appreciate your time there and we are still accepting nominations for our Young Professionals and Industry Icon Program. This is for if you're in the residential or commercial uh, water drinking water treatment industry, you can submit a nomination at wqpmag.com slash nominations. Similarly for WWD, we have our State of the Industry report coming out this December. We're going to have an extended report coming out in January as well. So if you want to check that out, make sure that you subscribe to our e-newsletter at wwdmag.com slash newsletter. And if you want to see the WWD SOTI report, you can see that at bit.ly slash SOTI 2020. That will have a lot more information than just these clips that we shared here, just like with WQP and Stormwater. And then also, I wanted to announce that the 60th anniversary of WWD is next year. We are celebrating 60 years, and we are calling on industry veterans to share your career experiences. If you have 20 years or more experience in the water and wastewater industry, we would really love to get your insights. We are looking to coordinate some interviews with a bunch of you, so visit bit.ly slash WWD60years to share your thoughts and insights on the industry and how it has evolved over the course of your career. And for Stormwater Solutions, we also have our State of the Industry Report live and on our website. You can visit bit.ly slash SWSSOTI2020 to get the survey results and more insight from some industry professionals. And additionally, we are still accepting nominations for our Young Pros and Industry Icon Awards. The nominations close January 4th, so be sure to get your nominations in. For Young Pros, you can visit bit.ly slash SWSYoungPros. And for industry icon, visit bit.ly SWS industry icon. That wraps up our episode, but don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and really anywhere you can get uh, web podcasts. <laughs> Reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Happy holidays, listeners. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening. 
Happy holidays, everyone.